Welcome to Sound Prints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prints for the week of October 31, 2019. We hope that you've had a great Halloween. First up this week is an announcement from Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana. They are hosting a workshop on solving behavior problems with your guide dog. It is on November 9 from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Enrollment is limited. So if you would be interested in participating in this workshop, which is being conducted by a professional dog trainer, Contact Deb Lewis, President of Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana, at 502-721-9129. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind roundabouts will be a bit different for November. The bingo is on its regular night, the second Friday of the month, on November 8. There will be no roundabout on November 15 because of the statewide Kentucky Council of the Blind Conference and Convention. Roundabouts will resume on November 22 and November 29, and we will have the activities for those roundabouts available next week. Speaking of the convention, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Statewide Conference and Convention is Friday, November 15, and Saturday, November 16. Activities begin with the premier lunch on Friday at noon and conclude with the James F. Shaw Academy Award Banquet on Saturday. The theme for the convention is KCB in the Spotlight, and there are many great activities planned for the weekend. If you're coming from out of town, you can make hotel reservations at the Ramada Inn North, 1041 Zorn Avenue. Room rates are $79 a night for up to four people in a room, and transportation will be provided by the Kentucky Council of the Blind via Uber and Lyft between the hotel and United Crescent Hill Ministries. You will need to request transportation as it is needed. Registration for the convention is $50 in advance. Pre-registration is open through November 10 or $60 at the door. This is a pass for two days and includes all meals, all workshops, all activities during the two-day event. Single-day passes as well as individual meal tickets and registration is also available. For more information, call 502-895-4598. You can register by phone with your credit card. Also, watch our email list, KCB News, for the latest information about convention presenters and programs. ACB Families is having its annual membership drive. Anyone who joins ACB Families for 2020 the dues are $8 per person, by mid-November will be eligible for a special holiday drawing for some great gift cards. First prize is a $75 ACB Mini Mall gift card. Second prize is a $50 Visa card. There will also be a $25 Visa card awarded to a lucky individual who has joined ACB Families and who is present on our December 1 peer support call. For more information, 
contact Carla Rushable at 502-897-1472. You will be able to pay your ACB family's dues with a credit card when you call. On Wednesday, October 29, Adam Rushable, Patty Cox, and I attended a meeting in Lexington at the Bluegrass Council of the Blind. The topic was White Cane History and White Cane Day, and we were fortunate to be presenters at the meeting. On page two, you will hear Teresa Thomas, Executive Director of the Bluegrass Council, introducing the event, and my presentation is included on page two. On page three, you will hear comments from Adam Rushable, Sam Seavey, and Teresa Thomas about different types of canes and other issues related to the use of the cane. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Hello and welcome everyone to the 2019 Blindability Celebration at Bluegrass Council of the Blind. We'd like to welcome everybody and thank you for joining us today. We have a uh, wonderful presentation scheduled here for you. It is a, it's a little bit loose in that people are able to ask questions and to provide some input as we go along. And we're going to start with our guests from Louisville, Kentucky. We have Carla and Adam Rushable, and I'm not sure in which order that they're going to speak, but they're going to share some of the history of the white cane with us today. As everyone has been made aware, I believe that October is Blindness and Visual Impairment Awareness Month in the state of Kentucky. We also have some national and international holidays within, um, well, it's holidays, but days of recognition. We uh, October hosts World Sight Day, Blind Sports Day, um, White Cane Safety Day, Blind Americans Equality Day. In honor of that, primarily focusing on White Cane Safety Day, um, we are going to have them share some information with us. Sam Seavey is with us today and has brought several of the more recent evolutions in white canes and some of the newer technology that's been made available. And so he was gracious enough to bring some of those and let us take a look. And I think he's going to share some information about those as well. So without further ado, I will turn it over to our first speakers. Hello, I'm Carla Rushable and I'm glad to be here again. Um, I always like coming up here and participating in bluegrass activities. And my only uh, regret, the only downside of that is, is that we can't seem to make it every month. So we're always glad to be here. The history of the White Cane and White Cane Safety Day is uh, really very interesting. So I began pulling out a couple of the things that have uh, that I've had kind of there for reference on this kind of, of topic for some time. And in going over it, I found, as is usually the case, that there was quite a bit that I had forgotten. And so um, I'm going to pretend as if I have a PowerPoint today. <laughs> because you know what happens oh, yeah. when people have a PowerPoint? 
they they stand up up here and they look at their PowerPoint and they have their PowerPoint so they know what they're going to say. And I have information from three different sources that um, I found at least to be of interest, and I thought you might too. Um, how many of you are are very familiar with the history of the white king? Just clap if you think you're really, really familiar. Okay, you. so that's not a whole lot. So I think then that I'm safe, that there'll be several people here who maybe haven't heard some of the things I'd like to share. The first resource that I found very, very helpful was an article, uh, some material and research that was done by uh, a person named Phil Strong. He worked for ACB several years ago. He was an intern, actually, but um, they're longer than most interns. And his specialty was pedestrian safety. And um, he wrote a, a history of the uh, white cane and also included some information on White King Safety Day. And I want to share that with you. Then I want to follow that with 10 quirky facts, and that's how they put it on their site, that um, the Perkins School for the Blind in Massachusetts has compiled about the White King. And it's kind of all over the spectrum. It's not just on history, it's, uh, it's about the cane and cane use. And finally, I have some information on different kinds of canes, which um, are, and if you wish to go to the, um, to the, the site, the website, um, it is, have, they have different types of canes, um, the images of different types of canes on the site, and it's through the Iowa Department for the Blind. So, um, First of all, the information from Phil is as follows. It says the white cane is not just a tool that can be used to achieve independence. It is also a symbol of the blind citizens in our society. To honor the many achievements of blind and visually impaired Americans and to recognize the white cane's significance in advancing independence, we observe October 15 of each year as White Cane Safety Day. Today, the white cane works both as a tool for the blind as well as a symbol, but this has not always been the case. Throughout history, the cane, the staff, and the stick have existed as traveling aids for the blind and visually impaired. Uh, going back to <coughs> biblical times, records show that a shepherd's staff was used as a tool for solitary travel by a blind person. The blind used such tools to alert them to obstacles in their path. For centuries, the cane was used merely as a tool for travel, and it was not until the 20th century, just a hundred years ago, that the cane as we know it today was promoted for use by the blind as a symbol to alert others to the fact that an individual had a visual impairment. This new role for the white cane had its origins in the decades between the two world wars, beginning in Europe and then spreading to North America. Um, a man named James Biggs in Bristol, England, 
claimed to have invented the white cane in 1921. He had an accident that uh, caused him to lose his sight, and he was an artist, and he was trying to readjust to his environment. He felt threatened by the increased motor vehicle traffic around his home, but Biggs decided to paint his walking stick white to make himself more visible to motorists. It was not until 10 years later that the white cane established itself as a presence in society to uh, be an identifying, uh, a way to identify a blind or visually impaired person. So in February of 1931, a lady, a lady named Gillet Durbemont, my French is terrible, no. I, I didn't flunk it in, in high school, but I should have. <laughs> uh, they, it, she launched a plan in Paris to create a national white stick movement for blind people in France. The campaign was reported in British newspapers and led to a similar uh, idea that was sponsored by Rotary Clubs throughout the United Kingdom. Um, in France, she raised, she, she obtained 5,000 canes that she gave out to blind people in, in Paris. In May of 1931, the BBC suggested in its radio broadcast that blind individuals might be provided with a white stick, which would become universally recognized as a symbol indicating that someone was blind or visually impaired. In North America, the introduction of the white cane has been attributed to Lions, Club in Lions Clubs International. In 1930, a Lions Club member in Peoria, Illinois, saw a blind man attempting to make his way across a busy street using a black cane. Can you imagine a black cane? With the realization that the black cane was barely visible to motorists, the Lions Club in Peoria decided to paint the canes white to increase their visibility to oncoming motorists. In 1931, Lions Clubs International became a, began a national program promoting the use of white canes for persons who are blind. And throughout the 20s and 30s, blind persons had walked with their canes held diagonally in a fixed position. And the role of the white cane took on a symbolic role as an identifier. Now, you can imagine that if they were holding these canes just in a diagonal position and holding them uh, steady, they weren't doing much travel with that, right? It was just to identify them. When the blind veterans of World War II returned to America, the form and the use of the white cane was further altered in an attempt to help to return veterans to participatory lifestyles at home. Dr. Richard Hoover developed the long cane or Hoover method of cane travel. Those canes were designed to be used as mobility devices and return the cane to its original role from many thousands of years as a tool for mobility. But it also maintained the symbolic role as an identifier of blind independence. During this period, the white cane began to make its way to government policy as a symbol for the blind. 
The first special white cane ordinance was passed in December 1930 in Peoria, Illinois. It granted blind pedestrians protections and the right of way while carrying a white cane. In 1935, Michigan began promoting the white cane as a visible symbol for the blind. On February 25, 1936, an ordinance was passed by the city of Detroit recognizing the white cane. To promote the new ordinance, a demonstration was held at City Hall where blind and visually impaired people were presented with white canes. The following year, Donald Schur wrote the provision of a bill and had it proposed in the Michigan State Legislature. The proposal gave the carrier of the white cane protection while traveling on the streets of Michigan. Governor Frank Murphy signed the bill into law in March of 1937. Now, fast forwarding to the early 1960s, several state organizations and rehab agencies serving the blind and visually impaired of the United States urged Congress to proclaim October 15 of each year to be White Cane Safety Day in all 50 states. This event marched a climactic moment in the long campaign of the organized blind movement to gain state as well as national recognition for the white cane. On October 6, 1964, a joint resolution of Congress, H.R. 753, was signed into law authorizing the President of the United States of America to proclaim October 15 of, of each year as White Cane Safety Day. The resolution read, resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives that the President is hereby authorized to issue annually a proclamation designating October 15 as White Cane Safety Day and calling upon the people of the United States of America to observe such a day with appropriate ceremonies and activities. Within hours of passage of the Congressional Resolution, President Lyndon B. Johnson went down in history as the first to proclaim October 15 as White Cane Safety Day. The Presidential Proclamation emphasized the significance of the use of the white cane as both a tool and a visible symbol. <coughs> In the first white cane pro proclamation, President Johnson commended blind people for the growing spirit of independence and the increased determination to be self-reliant and dignified. He said in part, quote, a white cane in our society has become one of the symbols of a blind person's ability to come and go on his own. Its use has promoted courtesy and opportunity for mobility of the blind on our streets and highways. During most of the years since 1964, the president has proclaimed October 15 as White Cane Safety Day. On October 15, 2000, President Bill Clinton again reminded us of the history of the white cane as a tool and its purpose as a symbol of blindness. Now remember, that was after the passage of the ADA in the early 90s. So this is a little different quote than what um, President Johnson had. Uh, President Clinton said, with proper training, people using the white cane can enjoy greater mobility and safety.
by determining the location of curbs, steps, uneven pavement, and other physical obstacles in their path. The white cane has given them the freedom to travel independently to their schools and workplaces and to participate more fully in the life of their communities. It reminds us that the only barriers against people with disabilities are discriminatory attitudes and practices that our society has too often placed in their way. As we observe White Cane Safety Day 2001, let us recall the history of the white cane, its emergence as a tool and a symbol through history, a staff of independence. Let us also recall the events that have permitted us to celebrate October 15 as White Cane Safety Day. So now let's look at 10 quirky facts about the white cane. And these are not in any particular order. These are from the Perkins School website. First, it says, yes, it is legal to take a white cane through security at an airport, according to the TSA, but it has to go through the x-ray machine. Um, that means you've got to put it in the bin or on the belt. Two, white canes are white because of George Bonham. In, in 1930, Bonham, president of the Peoria Lions Club in Illinois, watched a man cross the street with a black cane. And they, as we've heard, they painted it white with a red stripe to make it more noticeable. Mm. Number three, white canes are going high tech. Inventors in India, Great Britain, France, and elsewhere have equipped white canes with ultrasonic devices that detect obstacles up to nine feet away. Vibrations in the cane's handle warn users of potential hazards in their path. And if we have time, we might want to talk about that a little bit. Four, the standard technique for using a white cane was pioneered in 1944 by Richard Hoover, a World War II veteran rehabilitation specialist. His technique of holding a long cane in the center of the body and swinging it back and forth before each step to detect obstacles is still called the Hoover Method. That also is a little up for discussion today. Five, most people who are visually impaired don't use a white cane. Anybody want to take a guess of what the percentage is of people who use canes? 10%. 90. 20. 20. 20. 25. Oh, we got it. <laughs> okay. Only an estimated 2 to 8% wow. use a white cane. The rest use their usable vision, a guide dog, or a sighted guide. And it should say, and, it should say, and or a sighted guide because we all use all kinds of different methods of getting around. Number six. There are actually three different kinds of white canes today. We have the standard mobility cane, which takes many different shapes. Um, the folding, the telescoping, the long straight cane. Then there's the support cane used by people with visual impairments who also have mobility challenges. And finally, there's the ID cane. Now, it's interesting they put that in a different category. I tend to put it in the same category as the first one. But the ID cane is that thin little cane. I, I carry one, not for the purpose that is given here, 
It's a small foldable cane used by people with partial vision to let others know they have a visual impairment. I carry that thin cane just because I happen to like it. <laughs> Seven, unless you're willing to walk the walk, you can't become a certified orientation and mobility specialist. O&M specialists teach white cane technique to people who are blind, but to become certified, you must spend at least 120 hours blindfolded navigating with a white cane. And in Kentucky, um, as Teresa and uh, Adam and I, and I don't know if anybody else was in that in a moment, Monday, uh, we, um, I guess in our committee on Monday at the uh, statewide rehab council meeting, uh, we heard, we learned that you must also in Kentucky not only have the cane training, uh, the 120 hours, but you also must have the uh, college degree to be certified as an orientation and mobility specialist in Kentucky uh, and hired by the state. Um, eight, today's modern lightweight canes are usually made from aluminum, fiberglass, or carbon fiber and can weigh as little as seven ounces. I love my little lightweight canes. <laughs> Some light cane users prefer straight canes, which are more durable, while others prefer collapsible canes, which can be either folding or telescoping canes, and they can be stored more easily because they can fold up very small. They go in your purse or a backpack or your back pocket. My dad used to carry his in his back pocket. White caning can be fun. Uh, the Rail Institute in Los Angeles sponsors an annual cane quest where youngsters ages 3 to 12 compete to quickly and safely navigate a route in their community using their white canes. The contest helps kids master proper white cane techniques and encourages independence. And finally, number 10, it says in some states it is illegal for a person who is not legally blind to use a white cane to gain the right of way while crossing a street. If caught doing this in Florida, for example, you'll face second degree misdemeanor charges and up to 60 days in prison. Just because you were out trying to cross the street with a cane. <laughs> and you shouldn't have been. I wish I would do that to Jaywalkers. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Charles. <laughs> yeah, All right, and and there are um, there's a lot of different canes. You know, they didn't just um, leap full blown from a stick that somebody got off a tree um, and decided they were going to go carry it and use it for a cane to the canes that we have today. So a few examples of those um, are, they, they went through a lot of development, a period of development in the 20th century. Um, there were, they began with walking sticks and crooked canes. Uh, for many years, blind people used a cane um, that was um, whatever was available. It could be a walking stick, for example, a common type of cane that began to appear in the early 20th century was the short support kind of cane. They were about waist high and curved at the top. No formal methods on use or instruction for travel was developed for this cane. Um, 
This is now more commonly used as an aid only for those who have difficulty walking as a result of physical mobility problems. And of course, we still have support canes, but um, they're not really used for travel as well as support because they're not long enough. Then there's the cane that was a wooden walking stick that was later painted white and fitted with a metal tip. It sometimes had a dark wood handle and it was about 38, 36 inches long. So again, they were short. The ID canes, um, the movement to promote white canes as a symbol of blindness, of course, began in Europe and spread to America. Um, the white color was regarded as being easier for motorists and others to see. Um, but uh, the crooked or walking canes were painted white if they were given to a blind person rather than it being a separate cane that was made specifically for travel. Canes were not widely used by the, blind, by the blind for independent travel at that time. The white cane was expected to be used as an item of, for identification only um, to identify that the person was blind. And so it was all right that they were short because they were just held in the hand most of the time without contacting the ground. The cane retained a crook so the person could hook it over their arm or in their, over their, in their shirt collar. Can you imagine what that did to your shirt? <laughs> if they needed to use both hands. Some canes had straps so they could be secured to the arm. And a lot of blind people during that era did not want to carry those canes, and I can certainly identify with that, uh, because they felt that it, it symbolized more that they were dependent, helpless, and uh, it caused a lot of discrimination, as opposed to being a tool for independence. Um, there was a cane called an Arkansas Traveler. Uh, this type of cane was meant to be held as a form of identification. It was made of wood, had a leather strap, and was about 37 and a half inches long. There was another uh, cane in that similar, in that group of canes, where the bottom one-third of the cane was painted red and was retrofitted with a rubber cap to prevent slippage. Um, and that cane was about 41 inches long. So there were a lot of different types of things, but until we got to the World War II era, we didn't get into the modern canes, what became a modern cane. So when the veterans started training people, when, when Dr. Hoover came along and he started perfecting the O&M training in, uh, after World War II as the veterans came home, then he began using the long straight cane. And he taught that they would be, that the canes would be swept back and forth uh, from side to side. The canes were uh, lighter, those canes were thinner, um, they better be because if they were pretty heavy at, at 40 inches, imagine what they would get to be at 55 or 60 inches. They, they taught that method, method for quite a while. Actually, we here in Kentucky had, uh, at, at the Kentucky School for the Blind, any of you who have visited there and know that there's a dorm on the campus called Hauser Hall, that's named for a superintendent of KSB, L.P. Hauser, who came here, Adam, in the 1950s, 
uh, actually in the late 40s. In the late 40s. Right after Langen. Uh, yeah, and he was um, he was he was trained at Heinz. Was he from Heinz? No, uh, same place as Richard Hoover. Oh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Valley Forge. Kentucky was you know probably pretty early in that game of of doing some O and M orientation and mobility training was very different at that point in time. You know, kids were not expected to carry canes. Most of us in school did not carry canes. And uh, we just walked around. Yeah. Uh, Ron, how much does the cane cost that, uh, you know, vibrates, you know, that you know when there's... Well, or down hmm. or okay. Or I want to say a couple things about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, you circle your that's time. Okay. okay. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Yeah. That something's going to vibrate and tell us where things are? Yes. Yeah. Doesn't that sound great? Yes. Yeah. Only problem. You have to change batteries. I'm walking <laughs> down the street, and there's a telephone pole, a trash uh -huh. can, uh, a bus sign, a paratransit booth, or a, a transit booth, and a wall coming up, or some steps, mm -hmm. or whatever. How do I know which vibration is which? And quite frankly, I don't want to keep up with six different vibrations. By the time I do that, mm -hmm. I've lost my concentration on what I'm supposed to be listening to, and that's the traffic that I'm following. Over the years, I participated in my first study about one of those wonderful wonders um, back when I was in high school. And uh, they took a whole bunch of us out and said, uh, we want you to try to use these and you talk about a bunch of confused people. Now, that's not the same thing as the things they have today, but they had a, one, a great one a few years back, and somebody said, oh, it can even detect a bird on, sitting on a, on a um, utility wire. Uh -huh. And I said, why do I care? <laughs> Except I don't want to walk under the bird. So I'm much more interested in a cane that has a tip that isn't going to get stuck in cracks. And I'm much more interested in learning techniques to go down, to walk down that street. And I'm much more interested in learning to listen carefully for traffic because, uh, and, uh, and using some of the apps, the great apps that are out there to help us to see things <coughs> or to find stuff that's around us now. And where to put your cane. Oh yes, we have to tell you. Okay, this is where not to put your cane when you're in a meeting. Patty made a great comment at a roundabout not long ago. She said, um, she said now, don't put your cane on the table because you never know where the tip has been. That's true. How much it cost? Oh, they're, they, I don't know how much they are now. Sam may know. Sam might know that. They have been, um, years ago they were $1,000, but I don't know what they are now. Far too expensive to lose down a grate. Page three. I just wanted to mention, uh, this is Adam Rushville, by the way, just wanted to mention a couple of things. Here in Kentucky, uh, as Carla said, the, the Lions uh, really promoted white canes. And so back in the 50s and 60s and, and a little bit later, the Lions would give away wooden crooked white canes. And Teresa and I don't know if Sam brought it, but you have one of those wooden crooked canes. And they're in the shape of a of a candy cane and the lions used to use those they make little lapel uh, canes 
that with the uh, lion's name on it and and uh, hand those out as publicity things but uh, a few years ago those crook canes became so rare as being used that uh, ACB lines American Council of the Blind Lions uh, actually passed a resolution sent it to Lions Clubs International uh, to say that that was no longer really a symbol of white cane use because all the canes today pretty much are just straight uh, canes and uh, Lions Clubs International changed that so uh, we were pleased to, to have been a part of that uh, there's two types of uh, holding uh, that they taught the Hoover method was you, you stuck your finger index finger along the length of the cane and held it in your palm and hold it in the middle of your body swing it back and forth and um, that that is how you do it however I found that if you came to a crack in the sidewalk or a hole or something sometimes it would catch the cane and uh, if you're walking pretty fast you could almost dislocate your shoulder uh, by doing that so there's also what they call pencil tip method and that's like you would hold a pencil or a fork and that gives you much more uh, leverage because if you hit a bump or something that the cane your arm just automatically goes back and, and you don't have that problem i hope that helps a little bit and sam i hope i left you enough time here but thank fine. you one thing i wanted to add is that uh the uh, another reason for the red part of the cane is to add contrast in the winter time so mm -hmm. white cane against the white snow oh, yeah. Difficult yeah. To see, so. And that's also um, not as common in other countries. Uh, you know, in European countries, they tend to just have the white cane. And in fact, in there, uh, over there, they, the red signifies uh, sometimes a hearing impairment as well. And they can have yellow stripes as well. There's all kinds of variety. Hey, Sam, can I ask you a question? Sure. I always thought that the white cane just had a red tip and that's it. Are you saying that maybe there's a whole stripe all the way down the whole thing? No, um, it, it can be, I've, I've seen them on all different sections, so it could be, you know, a, a five section cane and one complete section is red. Uh, it could be at the bottom, could be at the top. Yeah, it kind of runs the gamut. This one alternates, it has a Silver, red, silver, red. Wow. Oh, there you go. So the ones that I brought um, are uh, a gentleman in, I believe, in uh, maybe Colorado. His, uh, his name is John. Um, he has developed this new cane. It's called the No Jab Cane, and it, uh, just as Adam said, it, you know, that's a common problem. People um, running into something, something, and the impact of the cane, uh, you know can go right in the arm or sometimes into the chest or the, the stomach. So he put a spring into the top section of the, the cane. So it alleviates about 80% of the impact um, as you run into something, it uh, compresses. And it's, but it doesn't diminish any of the tactile nature of the cane. You know, you, it's still pretty good for detecting obstacles and things like that. It's not any, it's, it's not too much more heavy than a standard cane. It is slightly, but not that much. Um, so I've got a couple of those. He also sells a light-up LED uh, rolling tip, big ball tip. So as you roll it, it doesn't use batteries. Somehow it uses uh, friction to light up. So as you roll it, the, the LEDs in the ball tip light up. Uh, so that can be 
not only just fun, you know, for kids and stuff, um, and would help to promote using your cane for, for kids, uh, it could be good for walking around at nighttime, you know, um, visibility for others. Uh, they see this flashing light. Or going to the nightclubs. I've had two two different people to tell me two different ways, uh, proper ways of using a cane. Some says you tap back and forth, and they say you should never do that because it may be an object in the center. And then I've had people to say you lay it on the you know on the ground and you sweep back and forth like you know like you're doing a section eight. You know, yeah. so really, what is the proper way to use that? Well, I I am not. I'm a, I'm a, a cane user just for identification, so I'm not the best person to ask about that. So Carl and Adam probably could answer that better. From what I understand, um, it, it's either. Uh, I know. I think that Hoover, since he was a military guy, he was like tap, 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 tap. That's the way you do it. Um, but I also know people that that use, especially with the rolling tip, you Can't just you have it down all the time, rolling back and forth and gliding over things. Uh, so I think it's whatever works best for you um, is my my mm -hmm. general motto. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I'm sure they'd be able to answer that here in a second. Uh, really quickly though, just because we're pressed for time, mm -hmm. I also brought, uh, there's a company out in the Netherlands that are creating a light-up cane uh, and it's kind of a, a open source, um, you can go on their website and download the, the schematics and everything to make your own light up cane. They even have links, so they don't sell it, it's just they provide the information and you can make your own. It uses a flashlight in the handle and the cane itself is hollow and it does a really good job of glowing, that entire cane glows. Um, they've modified the design to make it foldable and I think that was a mistake. Uh, they lost a little bit of the the glowing uh, light when they did that. Um, but it's still pretty cool. It's kind of a, a cool uh, concept. Increasing visibility at night. You've got this glowing light and it has blinking patterns, a high, medium, and low light intensity. So that's kind of cool. That's called the Jedi. Uh, the blind Jedi came. <laughs> and finally, I did bring uh, the WeWalk cane, which is um, one of the new smart canes that uh, Carla was talking about. It uses haptic feedback to alert you of things, mm -hmm. obstacles in your way. Um, I just got it, and in fact, tomorrow I've got a video call with Istanbul um, to do the training on how to use it, so I have no idea how it works. What's the price? I think this one is about 500 Okay. Um, but I could be wrong about that. Does it work with an app? Yeah, so the, all these smart devices, uh, they, they pair up with a smartphone app, uh, which is another, you know, kind of thing you have to take into consideration. You have to have a smartphone for these to work properly. Um, and you have a bunch of different features through the app. Uh, sometimes you'll have navigate or uh, maps, you know, you can like set a destination and it will help guide you to your destination, wow. things like that. Um, okay, to pull you along. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It now just I think um, you can answer phone calls on it and all kinds of stuff. I think it's. I think maybe, maybe they just wanted to throw more features in to make it better and more enticing. So the one that got the flash tip to it. No, no. This is the the WeWalk Smart. Um, so, 
I yeah. mean the Sunu band up there too. If you want to mention. Oh, the Sunu band is a a wrist um, kind of like a bracelet that also uses um, ultrasonic um, sonar waves to detect obstacles and it vibrates. Mm -hmm. uh, so as as Carla was saying, as you get close to something, it starts to vibrate, and the closer you get, the higher mm -hmm. intensity the vibration. Yeah. Uh, you can use it to detect like doorways and things like that. Go crazy it's it's ideally designed to protect you from obstacles waist level and above. Okay. Uh, while it's and they even say you're not supposed to use this um, in lieu of a cane or a guide dog. It's it's a companion. You use it with your cane and guide dog. Um, so, but as Carlos got a very good point there. It's how do you know if it's a stop sign or if it's a you know yeah a, a tree branch. Yeah. So. Do you still take your cane and 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 you said from the waist down? Yes. What well, if you take your cane as you walk and you keep knocking in front of you? Will it let you know then? The, the, the cane will tell you if you if you come into anything in uh, in front of you, right. waist right. level and above, and okay. then the the sunu band or something similar to okay. that will alert you if anything is waist level and above. Hmm. Above, yeah. not away. So if you're going to run into a branch in, in your head. Yeah, okay. How much do it cost? Which one? The band. The Sunu band, I think, is um, $200 around that. Yeah. Um, and do you do you know off the top of your head, the like the battery life in that WeWalk cane, or how much it drains your cell phone battery? No, I unfortunately, I don't know anything about okay. it just yet. I, I Took it out of the box last night and, and figured out how to put it all together. <laughs> um, and that's as far as I've gotten, really. Uh, I'd be happy some to come back and talk about required. it. Though. Yeah, some assembly required. It's, it looks like really good quality. Uh, it is, if you guys want to hold it, it is a pretty big thing that you're holding in your hand there. It's, it's not as uh, light and nimble as Carla's ID cane. <laughs> so that's something to take into consideration too. And you can't just fold it up and stick it in your back pocket as easily. I mean, it comes with a little carry bag that you have to put it into. And Sam, yeah, this Adam, and, and I'd just like to mention one other thing. When you get trained with a white cane, there's more than just the use of the cane itself. Uh, uh, for instance, you know, you cannot tell a cane or you cannot tell your guide dog, Fluffy, go to the barber shop. You know, you, you have to know how to use the cane and how to get to the place. For instance, if you're going to use uh, trans, uh, bus transportation or whatever, you have to be able to know uh, the bus schedules and where to catch the bus or even going, you know, from your house to uh, paratransit and so on. So there's a little more training than and knowledge than just how to you know wag the cane back and forth yeah and, and, and on that very note i want to mention um i just did a uh, live stream with some friends of mine yesterday about ira and uh that's another perfect example ira is really really helpful um but it's not going to replace your O and M skills. You still need that. You know, even if you had an agent on the phone 24/7, they're not there with you. They're not showing. You know, they're not walking you through the grocery store. You still need to use your skills, and that's very true for even like these smart canes or these wearable devices. You still got to have good skills. And, and I think what that says, Sam, is that there is no one single solution to our 
orientation and mobility issues. Right. It doesn't matter what you have, that it's going to have to combine with more than one thing. That with it, there's not going to be one single solution that's going to fit every single hour, every single step of the way. No matter how how much technology we have today, I don't know what it'll be like 50 years from now. It may be totally different. But today, we don't have a single solution. That's a very good point. And me personally, I just started using Kangs about two years ago. And I've learned that I, I like different types and styles of Kangs for different situations. If I'm going to be somewhere in an unfamiliar place and I'm by myself, mm -hmm. I'm going to take my good, sturdy folding cane that I can, it has a rolling tip and I feel really secure that the feedback from that cane is going to tell me if there's a step up or a step down or something in my way. Um, mm -hmm. I feel much more secure with my, my old faithful. But if I'm in a situation where I'm walking with a sighted guide, but they're not necessarily very trained at being a sighted guide, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have my ID cane out yep. or my telescopic cane, which alerts other people that even though I'm walking, holding hands with my husband, I have that cane out so they know when he's trying to navigate me through, it's not that I'm being aloof and not paying attention. It's because I can't see. And he might not be able to tell me there's a step up or a step down when we're a crowd, but I have that down where I can feel that. Don't think that, you know, you get handed a cane by an orientation and mobility specialist and say, here's your cane, this is what you have to use all the time. You might want to explore. There may be different situations where there's different types that work better for you. And Teresa, another, I, I love that. That is so true. Um, and sometimes, there are two other points. It, taking your airport example, um, sometimes you get more help in an airport if, if you have that cane with you than if you don't have it. Absolutely. And sometimes that means you don't have to stand through that long security line. Exactly. It's and, not just an airport. I'm, that's you know, all over. And, yeah. and I, I don't have to be the super blind person to mean that I have to stand through security for 45 minutes. I am more than happy to cut that line and only oh, have to wait five minutes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and the other thing is that the question over here was which is the right technique um, on using the cane? Uh, and, and it's a personal thing. Me, I do not want, I, I have never um, tapped my cane from side to side because I don't want, I, I cannot, I just can't abide. When I'm sitting on my front porch and I hear someone uh, almost up to the other end of the block coming down the street with a cane. Wham, 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 wham. Oh, blind person on the way, you know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not into that. So, you know, I may use my cane very differently, and it works for me. So I use my cane primarily to follow the grass line or the edge of the sidewalk. But other people... Uh, may wish to use it in a totally different way. 
So what? there's no right and wrong. It's what works for you. Right. Thank you. One other point, too. Sam has lots of different videos on all these different types of canes on his YouTube channel, The Blind Life. And if you're interested Mary. in a little more detail on some of these canes, you can check out his uh, YouTube channel. And there's also a great one on there where he talks about um, what's it, acting more blind than you really are. Yeah, acting more blind than you are. <laughs> when you use a cane, I feel like when I pull that cane out and use it somewhere, I have to act more blind than I really am so people believe me. That I, <laughs> and, and it's a real thing. And I, I, it's a very great conversation. Page 4, the Sound Prince calendar. On November 3, ACB families will have a peer support group meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. November 7 will be the American Council of Blind Lions conference call meeting. This is a monthly meeting for blind lions from around the country. This is an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be involved in local clubs. At 9 p.m. Eastern Time, the number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. November 15 and 16, Kentucky Council of the Blind State Conference and Convention. KCB in the spotlight. Enjoy workshops, programs, exhibits, food, and friends at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Rooms available at the Ramada Inn North, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Rates are $79 a night plus tax for up to four people in a room. KCB will provide transportation between the Ramada and United Crescent Hill Ministries using Uber and Lyft. For hotel reservations, call 502-897-5101 and be sure to tell them that you are with the Kentucky Council of the Blind when you call in order to obtain our discounted rate. On November 16, radio days from 1 to 3 p.m. We celebrate 100 years of radio broadcasting by taking you back to a time before computers, before television, when families would gather around the radio to listen to soap operas, spine-chilling dramas, gripping mysteries, and gut-splitting comedies. The first radio broadcast occurred in 1919. 100 years later, we bring you our own live radio broadcast with vocals by talking book narrators from the APH Sound Studio and sound effects by students at the Kentucky School for the Blind. Note, this activity will also be part of the KCB convention, so come to the convention and plan to attend the play as well. November 23 will be a Thanksgiving open house at the APH Museum from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Looking for something uniquely Louisville to show friends and relatives visiting for Thanksgiving? Bring them to APH's one-of-a-kind museum. Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, learn about guide dogs, play games, and read books designed for children who are blind, and enjoy many other activities in the award-winning museum. The museum also has on display the first book written by Louis Braille in which he describes his new method for writing with dots. Holiday goodies and spiced cider will be served. Register by calling 
2213. And in December, on December 7, the Christmas with the Council party will be from 4.30 until 9 p.m. at United Crescent Home Ministries, sponsored by the Tri-State Library Users, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana, KCB Next Generation, and the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. More details coming soon. Call 502-895-4598. December 8th, the 8th Annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction will be coming to you from 6 p.m. until all items are sold. Listen on ACB Radio, ACB Link, the Alexa Skill apps for ACB Radio, or on the phone at 605-475-8130. More details coming soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.